Hello. Good morning. It is December, and we are after Thanksgiving, so you can now put up your trees if need be for Christmas. There you go. Um, but with it being Christmas time, we are now entering into our Christmas series for the year. Um, and so it was kind of interesting. I was having a conversation with Mike about this because um, he told me, hey, if you would preach on the first, and I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And he's like, oh, and that would be the start of our Christmas series. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. You know, that's cool. You know, I was like, you know, what, you know, what gospel are we going to be using this year? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, the stories that contain the birth of Jesus. And he's like, well, I want you to preach out of Revelation 4 and 5. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, so I was a little confused. I was like, well, where are you going with this, Mike? Um, and so he kind of started to explain his idea behind it. Um, and I think this is going to be a great way um, to look at the birth of Christ in a non-traditional view, um, to switch things up a little bit this year, um, but to still hold the, to that Christmas spirit. Um, and so, yes, we're going to be looking at the birth of Jesus through the lens of Revelation uh, and looking at what we can anticipate because of the birth of Christ. And so you see, last week, Mike talked about um, Jesus ascending into heaven and how that leaves us in this state of waiting and, and you know, looking forward to his return. And what we see in the Bible is that this is not the first time our world has waited on the arrival of Jesus but as spoken in, men, in numerous occasions in the Old Testament, the birth of Jesus was something the Israelites had long awaited. And when he finally did arrive, certain things took place. And so as we read through Revelation this morning, and we will see that this, the same things will take place when Jesus comes again. And so the series is about, it's anticipating Christmas, and so we're talking about anticipation. And for me, I think what makes anticipation even harder to be patient with um, is when you get a taste of what's to come. So that's why, you know, with film studios, you know, they release trailers of their movies, you know, just to give you that little bit of a taste of what's to come. Uh, for example, um, Star Wars. Anyone? No? Yeah? Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker will be released here in a couple weeks. Now, if you're not a nerd like Josh and I, um, then you might not know that this isn't just any Star Wars movie coming out, but this is the last one of the new trilogy that started back in 2015. So there's, very much, there's a lot of excitement around that. But not only that, on top of that, this is also supposed to be the last movie of the whole saga that has revolved around the same character since 1977. So as you can tell, for me and Josh, maybe not you guys, that's okay. The anticipation is very high. The anticipation is very high. But could you imagine what it was like if they didn't release anything about the movie? You know, there's no trailer, no toys. They don't even tell you when it's going to come out. And then one day they're like, oh, here you go, here's the movie. Like, the anticipation would be killed, like, there's no excitement anymore, and, and it's going to affect their uh, ticket sales, and, and the movie itself probably won't do as well because of that. Anticipation is important. It gives people a taste of what's to come and an excitement and in a desire to participate in what's going to come down the road. And so that's what this series is all about. 
It's about giving us a taste of what's to come when Jesus will return again and what we see will happen in the book of Revelation and through what we've already seen when he came to the earth the first time. So today we get to look at anticipation of worship. And what's amazing about what we'll see in Revelation is the scale of the worship. You know, every day we have opportunities to participate in worship, but it's only a taste of what's to come when we'll all gather together in the presence of God. And so if you would, open up to chapter 4 of Revelation. We'll start in verse 1. But just to set this up a little bit as you turn there, and Revelation being the last book of the New Testament, um, So Revelation is written by the Apostle John, um, who wrote uh, a bunch of other books. He wrote the Gospel of John and the other three Johns with his name on it. It's pretty easy to tell. Um, And so he is writing this on the island of Patmos, which he was exiled on. I like to tell my students, he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. And so the Romans were like, here, you just stay here on this island, and we'll just call it good. Um, But so he's on this island of Patmos, and God gives him a revelation, and that's hence the name of the book. Um, And as uh, Professor Krauss at NCC always said, um, it's singular because it's only one revelation. Um, It was a singular revelation that John received all in one moment, and so, well, one sitting. And so um, one of the things about Revelation is as you start to read it, you'll see lots and lots of imagery, and it can be intimidating Uh, to read at times, because it's, well, there's a dragon, and I've never seen a dragon, so that's weird, Um, you know, and and so there's a lot of imagery, but as you understand some of the cultural context behind Revelation, it begins to make sense, and so if you have any more questions after the sermon, make sure you talk to Mike next week. (laughs) So, he's getting his doctorate, that, that sounds mean, but his dissertation for his doctorate is out of Revelation, so he's the person to ask. Um, and so starting in verse 1, I want to read this. And so, and we will read uh, the whole chapter just because it's this beautiful scene. And so I want to be able to go through the whole thing. And so it says this in verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me, was a throne and heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder, And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there were what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in the front and in the back. The first living creature was that like a lion. The second was that like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Can you feel the magnificence of this scene? I won't go into all the imagery um, of what it all represents, but just some of the key things. On the main throne described as God, in all his glory in which we see John doing his best to describe it in what makes most sense to him as a human. I'm thinking he can't quite process all that's going on. And so with the, he says that God has the appearance of like fine gems and his throne is surrounded by a rainbow that shines like an emerald. The four creatures um, resemble some different descriptions of angels that are talked about in Ezekiel. And then outside, the creatures are the elders who number 24. 12 is a very um, popular number in the Bible. It's a significant number. And so it's likely that um, the 24 represent at least one from every nation of Israel in which there were 12, and the other 12 are possibly be the disciples of Christ. We don't know for sure their identities, though. But what's most important about the scene that we see in Revelation is all these beings in the wonderful presence of God fall down and worship. We see in the words they use to worship him why they do this. It's because our God is holy and Lord Almighty, who has been around before time itself, who created all things and gave all things their being. And because of this, he is worthy of all glory, honor, and power. The worship we see here in the throne room is not because these beings are going through the motions of showing up at the throne. It's not that they come on Sundays and they sing a few songs and then go back about their business for the rest of their week. No, the worship here almost seems like it's not a choice. And what I mean by that is it's, it's an involuntary reaction to being in the presence of God. That in the presence of the glory and the majesty of God, our natural thing is to fall on our face in reverence and respect and singing praise to him who's responsible for absolutely everything. And what's cool about this is that we learn in Scripture that um, this isn't just those who believe in God react this way, but one day every person will react this way. In Romans 14, 11, it says, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. That's a pretty powerful thing to imagine that someday, you know, we will stand in front of God in a final judgment. And whether we are with him or not, every knee will bow. Every person will know that he is God. That goes to show who our God is. But as we'll see in this coming chapter, in chapter 5, it's not just God the Father who is worthy of this type of worship. So continue with me in verse 1 of chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne of a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth 
could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and wept because no one was found who's worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one, el- one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne and circled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language, people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. In this chapter, we get to see this beautiful story that's written out, that's been taking place since the beginning of time. The scroll that God holds in his hand is the perfect plan that has been written out in detail. And we know this because it has writing on both the front and the back, which would have been an extremely great effort to do. And we know that it's his perfect plan because it's sealed with seven seals, seven being the number of perfection. But because this plan is so perfect... It takes a perfect being to execute it. It takes a perfect being to open the scroll that the perfect plan might be used. And at first what we see, John is weeping because it seems as if there is no one in all creation who can open it. And what this means is the doom of mankind. But then we see that hope remains. Because there exists a lion of Judah, the one foretold in the lineage of David, just like we talked about all summer, who is worthy and able to open the scroll. And you see this lion, he did not come to the earth in the form of a lion, but instead he came as a lamb. The kind of lamb that you might see born in a stable. Not quite you'd expect to be the savior of the world, nor the circumstances that you'd expect. But according to the perfect plan of God, this is how it had to be. This lion dressed as a lamb would not only come to our world in the most ordinary of ways, but although without blemish would allow itself to be led to slaughter, that through his blood all our sins would be covered. And because of this, 
we see a similar scene in chapter 5 that we did in chapter 4. With everyone, all beings falling down in worship in the presence of the Lamb, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. If you haven't been able to tell yet, this passage is talking about Jesus. But what I want to know is that Jesus did not go through what he did on this on earth to earn this type of worship. You see, Jesus didn't have to earn this worship. Whether Jesus came to this earth or not, he was worthy of it. It talks about this in one of my favorite passages of Scripture. We just talked about this on one of the Wednesdays with our students. Um, I bring it up as often as I can. Um, but Philippians 2, 5 through 11, says, Who being in very nature God, referring to Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He came as a lamb instead of a lion, is what that's saying. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death or being led to slaughter, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus didn't open the scroll to execute God's perfect plan because he had to, but because he chose to. He chose to take the form of a lamb, and he allowed himself to be killed by mankind. Being of equal nature with God means that Jesus was always worthy of the type of worship that we see here in Revelation. And despite not having to go through any of the things he did, Jesus chose it because of his love for us. So as we come up on this time of celebrating the birth of Jesus, we get to recognize that this was a choice he made out of pure selflessness for our sake. And because of this choice, the scene we read about in Revelation is something that we get to participate in. What we read there, those two chapters, it's not something that's already happened it's something that's currently happening and will happen forever. That someday, because Jesus decided to come to this earth, we will be able to be present there, that we will be able to be a part of the tens of thousands, times tens of thousands, who get to fall down and worship in the presence of God for all eternity. And we actually, we get to see this already taking place through the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, 9 through 11, it says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, and until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. As I talked about Star Wars a little bit earlier, sometimes these movies that are so highly anticipated can be a little bit of a letdown when they actually come to be. The last one showed me that. Um, but what we're talking about this morning 
of anticipating this worship in heaven with all these beings and the angels and these, you know, the elders. It's not one of those cases. I can tell you that for sure. If anything, our anticipation for it probably can't fully grasp how amazing it will actually be someday. There's lots of questions um, about Revelation, what things will be like, you know, with the new heaven and new earth, what our relationships with one another will be like, what will we know, and I can't answer a lot of those. Again, go to Mike. Um, but what I do know is that there will be absolutely nothing better than being in the presence of our God forever. And I think that's what's really important. And so when we step into his presence, it'll be one of those moments where it won't be a choice, but it'll just be a natural reaction to fall down before him in worship, to bring glory and praise to our God because there's nothing else in all existence worthy of such a worship. And then to also worship Jesus, another part of God, who despite being equal with God, who didn't have to come to this earth as a lamb, who didn't have to give up equality with God to come to this earth and be a human. He chose to because of his love for us. He chose to be born as a baby, lying in a manger. And so the thing about Revelation is I feel like it wouldn't be quite as impactful if it didn't mean something to us right now. If there wasn't something that we could take away to live out in our daily lives. And so this morning, what we can take away from these chapters in Revelation is what true worship will look like someday. I know we aren't in heaven physically at the throne of God, but just as Larry talked about this morning, that doesn't mean we're not in the presence of of him. The Spirit of God dwells inside of those who have given their lives to Christ, And each and every day, God is present with us, so when we set aside the time to worship him, we should treat it as if we were at his throne. This is going to sound random, but junior hires can sometimes be annoying. Yep. For those parents in the audience, you know this. (laughs) But whenever I go to a camp or a conference... There's something about them that I absolutely love. And that is most of them have no shame when it comes to the time of worship. They're jumping around, dancing, singing, making an absolute fool of themselves. They're singing at the top of their lungs, even though they probably have a terrible voice. They're clapping along, even though none of them have a rhythm in their body. Josh knows this. It's a struggle sometimes. (laughs) But most of the junior hires I see, they don't care what they look like because they're enjoying worshiping their God. And I think we could learn something from that in that aspect. When we come here on Sundays and Josh and the band start our time of worship, what is on the forefront of our mind? Is it, ugh, this song again? I, think we, I thought we sang this last week. Are we thinking about what's coming after church? for me is usually I really wish Chick-fil-A was open on Sundays. Maybe it's, you know, I, I, I would raise my hand, but I think I forgot to put on deodorant today, so I, I'll, I'll, maybe not. 
maybe it's, you know, I don't know who's singing behind me, but I think I might buy them a pitch pipe for Christmas. Just, that would be mean. Just kidding. <laughs> who knows? My point is, I think as adults, we can cons- be consumed about what others think about us, or we can be consumed by what we think of others. And it distracts us from our time of worship. If you've learned anything from these this, uh, chapters in Revelation, I hope it's that our God is worthy and is the only one worthy of our attention and worship. And that if we come to a time of worship, he should have nothing but our full attention and our participation to the full extent that we can give. And like we talked about, it's not that God needs our worship, but it's that he's the only one worthy of it. And so this morning, church, we have one last song to think, sing, I think. Just one? One song, okay. Um, and so my desire is not that you have to be like a junior higher and jump up and down and be silly and goofy. If you want to, that's fine. <laughs> but that you worship God the way you do best to your full extent, whatever that looks like, whether that's clapping, whether that's singing, whether that's just sitting down and paying attention to the words. It's not a thing for anyone in here to judge. It's between you and God. And as we come and as we approach Christmas time and approach Christmas Day, we get to live in this amazing anticipation that what we get to participate here on Sundays is only a taste of what's to come. That someday in the presence of God, we will be so overwhelmed that we'll just fall down and worship. And it's all because Jesus decided to be a lamb and to come be born on this earth. If you will, would you pray with me? God, you are good. Not only are you good, I feel like that's not a strong enough word sometimes. God, you are worthy of all adoration, respect, and anything else that we can give you. You are the being in the universe, God. The one that existed before all of it. And this morning we come anticipating getting to be fully in your presence, at your throne, being able to worship you with every other uh, being that has been in existence, with all the angels and our brothers and sisters throughout time. And we come to this time also just in appreciation of what your son did, because we only get to participate in that because of him, because he was worthy to open the scroll because he was willing to come down to this earth to allow himself to be killed. God, we thank you for that lamb. Hear our voices now and know that we love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.